The Democrats made history during the midterm elections. Everyone predicted that there was going to be a red wave or a red tsunami. Everybody but us here on the Midas Touch Network, Gen Z, actual people, the woman who turned out to vote, really people who supported the democracy. So basically everyone who said that there was going to be a red wave knew nothing and were pushing a false narrative. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that the Democrats and the blue wall defied expectations and the blue wall held was through the leadership of Jamie Harrison, the chairman of the Democratic National Committee. So proud to be a friend of Jamie Harrison. I think he's done great work and I am I couldn't be more thrilled to have him on the podcast today. Brett and Jordy, that's right. We've got Jamie Harrison here on the podcast. A Midas Touch Thanksgiving edition. So we will be doing our typical live Thursday podcast that we do live on Wednesday. We'll still have content for Thursday when the podcast airs. We'll have some special content that I know you'll like, but doing the podcast today. So just in case y'all, we're just going to be spending time with the families and not (laughs) watching the Midas Touch podcast on Thursday. We wanted to make sure you saw this interview with Jamie Harrison. Brett, Jordy, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm excited. Should we just like get right into it. I'm really excited for folks to hear this interview. Um, we had a great conversation with Jamie and, uh, and I'm, I'm psyched. Jordy, Wait, can I just make one quick request to all of our listeners and viewers out there as they head into their Thanksgiving dinners? Uh, look, politics could be a touchy subject depending on who's at the table. However, if it's a you know fair game, if politics comes up, tell your family, tell your neighbor, tell your friends, tell whomever about the Midas Touch podcast and the Midas Touch YouTube channel. All right, let's head into our interview with the NC chair, Jamie Harrison. Happy Thanksgiving. We are joined by no other than Jamie Harrison, chairman of the Democratic National Committee. Jamie Harrison, welcome to the podcast. What's up, brothers? How are y'all? We are doing good. So everyone was talking about the red wave, the red tsunami, the blue wall held under your steady leadership. Chairman Harrison, how'd you do it? Oh, listen, man, this is all a team effort. I want to first and foremost, thank you all. I mean, the the work that Midas Touch did, that you, the three brothers, uh, that you all just, you killed it. You, you, you put stuff out there, you beat it back. Um, and I can't thank you enough. Many times you all are able to say stuff that I wish I could say, uh, but, but, <laughs> but, but you, but you say it and you put it out there and it's so, so helpful. Um, uh, but this was definitely a team effort. I think across the board from, uh, our national committees, the DNC, the DTRIP, the DS, the DGA, the DLCC, DAGA, the secretaries of state, I can go on and on, um, our, our state parties, uh, you know, the unions that were out there, uh, third party groups, uh, you know, media groups like you all. Uh, but most importantly, the people, um, you know, just tens of thousands of volunteers uh, and young people came to the polls. People of color came to the polls. You know, folks from the LGBTQ community came to the mm-hmm. polls and they all pushed back against this extremism that we are seeing in American society right now that is rooted in the Republican Party. 
and so I think, uh, you know, when I first became chair, you all know you had me on. And I said that this is the thing about history. You can make your own damn history. And guess what? That's what we did in November on November 8th. We made our own damn history. Uh, this was the, the best midterm election for an incumbent president um, in recent history. Uh, you know, since Lyndon B. B. Johnson, new Democratic presidents have lost an average of 45 House seats, five Senate seats. And then in, in this election, we had the best midterms for governor's races uh, it, since 1986. So, folks, you all did it. We all did it together as a collective, but we can't rest on our laurels. We can't sit back and say, oh, let's pat ourselves on the back. Um, because there's still a lot that we have to do. Uh, we got to take the House back. Uh, you know, the Republicans have a slim majority, but we know that they're going to be a clown show. They aren't going to deliver for the American people. So this is a short-term rental. Um, and I'm telling them right now, keep your boxes packed because you will be <laughs> moving right back to the minority in just two short years. Let's talk about the clown show. Did you expect the clown show to literally start like right away with, bringing out Kyle Rittenhouse for photo ops and talking about Hunter Biden's laptop immediately and spreading all of these insane conspiracies. Like, did you expect it to happen like literally the first second or did you expect it to take place over time? I'll ask you that question first in my next follow up. Listen, I, I expected the clown show to, to do what clown shows do. Right. Listen, but for gerrymandering, we would have kept the majority in, in the House. Uh, I, I'm I'm assured of it. I mean, you think about what they were able to do in places like Louisiana uh, in the courts. There, there was supposed to be another black district created there, another black district created, I, I believe, in Mississippi. We were looking at another one in South Carolina. We saw what DeSantis did in Florida. We saw the kick out in New York, in Ohio and North Carolina. They ran in districts that uh, that were deemed unconstitutional. Um, but the, the clown show is going to do what the clown show does, right? They have no policy background. Uh, they don't want to go to Washington, D.C. to actually do anything to improve the lives of people. They just want power. They simply want power. And so, uh, you know, they will do things that are oriented in terms of having them flex that power uh, on on. Um, on the American people, not that they're trying to do anything to improve the lives of people. Uh, you know, so it, it's it's sad, but it's what is expected from today's Republican Party. And Kevin McCarthy is the most feckless uh, leader I have seen in a very, very long time. And I don't even, I'm even doubtful that he's going to, to be Speaker of the House. There have been two uh, Republicans already who have said that they are not voting for him. We'll see whether or not he can get the 218 votes on the floor, because you have to get 218 votes on the floor to be elected speaker. Uh, I, I don't know if he'll be able to do that. So going into the midterms, you have all of the media and everybody doom and gloom. You know, it's going to be this big red wave. What's Jamie Harrison doing? I mean, I don't even know how you check all your social media mentions. They probably look like ours when we were actually bringing people on who provided objective data with early voting. We were like, look, there still may be one, but I'm just letting you know what the data says. And we're just going to put our heads down and do the work. So how did the media, the haters, 
haters always get it wrong. That's why they're haters. But how did the media <laughs> get it so wrong? And this whole kind of confluence of this phony narrative develop? Well, it, it's partly, you know, you get people who wake up every morning and they read what's in the latest political playbook or on one of the other uh, things. And they look at the rear clear politics average, which is filled with all of these trash polls. And they think they can uh, project out what's going to happen. That is why you have to go down to the ground. That is why you have to go into the field. That's why you have to go talk to people to see what type of energy is in uh, in these races. You know, guys, last few weeks of the campaign, uh, my staff and I, we did 13 states in 14 days. We went uh, all over the country talking with folks, talking with volunteers and the voters and feeling the pulse of the energy on the ground. And I knew, one, it was going to be close. And in close elections, the thing that wins is not more TV ads or more radio spots. The thing that wins are knocks on the doors, the phone calls to people, uh, to making sure that you have uh, rides to the polls. And that is how you win these close elections uh, 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 in all of elections. It's how you win them. You, you got to have the strongest ground game, the voter protection game that you possibly have. And I knew that we had worked well and long and hard to build that and develop that. So um, so all of the other stuff that I heard was just noise. I mean, you look at you know all of these trash polls. Polling, one, polling is expensive. And you should see some of these very small polling firms that were producing like three and four polls uh, in various states every week. There's no way in hell that they could do that uh, and have it be credible polls, right? Uh, because I'm sure they don't have the capacity to, to do that. Uh, and they were what they were. They were trash polls. And so uh, our candidates were strong. They were better equipped than they, uh, the other side. Uh, they had raised more money than the other side. The only disadvantage that we had was that we didn't have these huge super PACs um, funded by billionaires that were pouring billions of dollars into uh, into these campaigns. But one of the things this election cycle showed is you can't buy these races. Uh, in the end of the day, the American people want folks who are going to stand up for their freedom, their democracy, and who's going to fight for hope for them and their families. Uh, and that's something that you can't buy. Uh, hopefully the Republicans learned that lesson, but sadly, I don't think they did. Oh, no, I don't think they did at all. But th throughout it all and throughout the billions of dollars coming to oppose Democratic candidates, the whole time it felt like you were actually on the pulse that was going on. You weren't paying attention to these media narratives that were being conjured up, uh, but you were f very focused on Gen Z. And I noticed this kind of at a very early stage that the DNC was making a lot of content geared as Gen Z. You were engaging Gen Z. And I was like, OK, they get it like they get what's going on. Turned out Gen Z were the breakthrough stars of this election that really turned the election around for the Democrats and helped deliver that blue wall that stopped the so-called uh, red wave or red puddle. I don't even know what we're calling it, if anything, at, <laughs> at, at this point. Uh, are you able to tell us about any of that outreach you did with Gen Z, any of the work you did kind of geared towards Gen Z in the lead up to these midterms? Well, you know, I, I was very happy with some of the work we, that we did, and I know there's so much more work that we need to do because, listen, this is this is the secret weapon. This is the superpower that can transform this nation uh, for, for the best, right? Uh, when you look at American history, every major change in this country uh, has been fueled by young people. 
every major change since the, 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 the revolution itself, the American revolution, yeah, the fueled by young people, the, the civil rights movement, fueled by young people. We look at uh, the protest that happened a few years ago. It was young people generated. So knowing that the largest demographic of voters in this country are young folks, then you need to make sure that you are engaging with those young people because, uh, yes, they're the biggest demographic, but sometimes they are the lowest performing demographic. So the question is, how do you reach young people? How do you communicate with them? How do you get them to go out and vote? The one thing that I've learned you know, from my days in the classroom, my days working at nonprofit, is that the most influential person to another 18-year-old is an uh, to an 18 year old is another 18 year old. That's the most influential person. It's not the the mom or the dad or the teacher or any. It's another their peer, right? And so one of the things that we knew that we needed to do was to figure out how we get more young people to talk about some of the democratic messaging and the democratic values. Not so much the Democratic Party, because we know that young people are less and less tied to political institutions or institutions themselves, but they're more driven by their values and the things that they believe in and the things that they hold dear. And so, but we needed to get that out there. And so that's when we started working with influencers on, on TikTok and Instagram and uh, on YouTube and all, and making sure that there are folks who were armed with the facts about what we have delivered as a party, right? But could translate those facts into the values and into the, the ways that young people uh, accept them and, and appreciate them and uh, are attracted to them, right? So um, we did a lot of that, the cycle. Uh, the plan is to do even much more in, in, in the future cycles, because this is the key, getting young people energized, uh, motivated, and mobilized to the polls is how we win races uh, and how we fundamentally change policies uh, to keep the future bright for for the, their generation and generations to come. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, we if we're able to keep that younger generation activated and deliver for them, I mean, it's, it's a complete game changer and Republicans simply aren't going to be able to recover from it in the future if that if we continue to deliver for them. And truthfully, I don't know what the Republican Party is doing right now. I mean, we spoke about earlier, we spoke about the whole clown show of the Republican Party. What do you make of a guy like Kevin McCarthy's obedience to somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene? I mean, it seems like she, for all intents and purposes, is running the party. It seems like they learned the exact opposite lesson of what they should have learned from the trouncing that they got during these midterms. Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's like the leader. Well, she is the leader. I mean, and she's leading Kevin McCarthy all around and telling him what he has and and what he must do in order uh, to become speaker. But and this is what you know, uh, ambition. You know, listen, ambition itself is not a bad thing, but when it is the only driving thing in your life, it is. I just need to become speaker of the house, even if it's a clown show, even if it's so a true. group of folks who who have no core values, even if these people don't want to really fight for the American people, even if we really don't want to address the issues that people are dealing with, like uh, inflation and, you know, uh, quality of schools and roads and healthcare, right? All Kevin McCarthy wakes up, goes to sleep and just thinks about having the gavel of speaker. Um, But the question is, what will he actually be able to lead? And it's not going to be much. He is not going to be able to control uh, the chaos that he has created in order to become speaker. Uh, And as a result, the the nation will falter as a result of that. 
But Democrats are going to continue to fight. We're going to continue to push uh, and we'll use the executive actions of the White House if that's the only thing that we have. But this president has also said that he is willing to work with the Republicans if they're willing to work with him to deliver for the American people. We'll see. I mean, we, you know, Democrats always extend our hands out, but we've also learned that if we got to go it alone, we'll do that too. And people have always counted out President Biden and somehow he always figures out a way. So I'm certainly not going to be a person that's counting him out, even in the face of uh, this adversity uh, going into the, this new Congress. Uh, speaking of chaos, as you mentioned before, Donald Trump announced he's uh, running for president. Uh, I've got a question for you. Does the DNC, do the Democrats need to claim this as an in-kind contribution to the Democratic <laughs> Party? Listen, for us, it doesn't matter who ends up being the nominee. Uh, yeah, Democrats are ready for whoever the Republicans put forward. And bottom line, we're going to win. We are going to win. And, and as it relates to Donald Trump, listen, voters across the country rejected MAGA Republicans uh, in 18, in 20, in 2022. Donald Trump lost by 7 million votes. And fellas, if he runs again, I guess he is running again, he's going to lose yet again. And Jamie, I, I just want to address one more thing too, man. And I want to get your back here because for all the Jamie trolls out there, I see them because I'm constantly <laughs> retweeting you, Jamie, on, on the Twitters. And I'm like, what are these people getting so like angry about? Jamie, I had the honor of covering the DNC convention as a member of the media over the summer. And I just want to say, man, from start to finish that weekend, it was just so impressive. And what do I mean by that? There were hundreds of different caucus meetings, dozens of different speeches given on a wide array of topics throughout the weekend. And one of the temples to being a, a great leader isn't just leading for one group, but bringing a, a coalition of people together, which were, you were able to do. And so my question to you is, how are you able to bring this big tent party together? Listen, my friend, it, one, it was so much fun to see you at our DNC meeting. Uh, you know, I, I love those meetings. And you're right. Our meetings reflected the great diversity of this nation. Uh, in the course of those three days, I think I spoke at 41 separate events in the course of those three days. And and not one of the speeches were the same. Right. I mean, that. that 41 separate different speeches during that time. But, you know, I love this party with everything I am. Uh, and even when you get the haters who are, are, are criticizing for this and that, one of the things I, I've learned in this job and I've learned in my 30 years of doing politics is that sometimes people just don't, they think they know, but they don't really know. They think they know what the DNC is. They think they know what the DNC chair is supposed to do. They think they know about all these things. And they seriously don't have a clue about how all of these things work. I really wish I had the powers that, the, as my kid says, the superpowers that some of these folks think I have as DNC chair. I don't have a money tree that grows in my backyard where I can just pull down the the you know the dollars and just give them all out to everybody when they want them. I don't have a candidate tree in my backyard where I you know you can just find a candidate for every single race and you just plug them in. One, I don't even do candidate recruitment. That happens on a local level or with one of the sister uh, organizations. But people think that, you know, the DNC chair picks dog catcher in their neighborhood. And if, <laughs> if that ballot is empty, it's because I didn't go into their community to find somebody to run for dog Jamie. catcher. Jamie. Exactly. Folks, it doesn't happen that way. I, you know, I don't control the DCCC or the DSCC. They're their own separate organizations with their own money, and they make a decision on who they're going to fund and how they're going to fund. 
What we do is we try to work with all of the folks that make up the democratic ecosystem and we fill in the gaps. When you think about the thing that we are responsible for, it is the presidential race, right? The, the, the DNC is the sole, as the RNC is, is the sole proprietor of making sure that we have a candidate who runs for president and that that candidate has the resources in order to win. On the other races, we work with the other organizations to do that. We work with our state parties. Fellas, I want you to know this. We have dedicated this cycle over $40 million to our state parties over the course of, of the cycle, just putting uh, resources in there because we've gone back to a 57 state and territory strategy where we're sending resources to these states so that they can build capacity so that they can compete again. Now, I wish that we could send even more money. And had I won that billion dollars in, in the lottery, I was going to make sure. I was so close. Check so to close. Every single one, right? <laughs> every single one. But we don't have that. So mm -hmm. we try to do the best with what we have. That doesn't mean that we always get it right all of the time. But we try to get it as close as we can to getting it right and to do our very best so that we are competing. And so when people say, you know, oh, I'm heartbroken about this race and that race, I was like, hell, if you're heartbroken, what do you think I feel? Um, mm -hmm. Because many times, many of these people are good friends. And I give you an example, Tim Ryan in Ohio. I've mm -hmm. known Tim over 20 years. I remember when he was a young congressman coming to the House of Representatives. And over those 20 years, I've tried desperately to, to conjole Tim to run for uh, something statewide in Ohio, because I, I always knew he was a superstar. So I was proud when he decided to run for the Senate. We we worked and we provided the resources that we could working with the state party. But sometimes you come up short. And, and, and you know, I know that all too personally because I came up short in my race for the U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that people weren't fighting for him or, or uh, trying to work with him. But I also want folks to know that, you know, there's only so much that we can do in terms of our, our candidates legally not just because of what mm -hmm. I want to or not, but legally. So we're going to try our very best because we want to win as many seats as we possibly can. I, I want folks to understand that that needs to be the first thing that you think about. Our goal is to win as many seats as we can, because that means we can get our agenda through. That means we can help the American people. So uh, there, there's no uh, nefarious thing that we're trying to keep this candidate down or that candidate down. No, we're trying to make an assessment across the way how we can better help uh, and how we can coordinate with our sister committees to do that. But, uh, but you know, bless everybody. Uh, you know, enjoy <laughs> your Thanksgiving and all that. But as you all know, I have very little patience for the haters because uh, when my kid says to me, Daddy, I don't know um, when you come home if I'll be able to recognize you, hmm. that means then I haven't been home a whole lot. So I know I'm burning on both ends in the middle. I know the staff at the DNC is burning both ends in the middle. And so it's kind of hard to then uh, hear the, the naysayers saying, well, you're just not doing enough. Well, you know what? Sign up. If you want some more people to run, yeah. you know what? We, we got a lot of spots open for you. So if you want to run, come run. We, we'd love to have you. Facts, I, or facts, I have some facts. call time for you, too. You can help Mike, me raise some of these millions Mike of dollars that I got to raise. Jamie, you are certainly out there doing the crunches, man, getting the work done on the ground. I got to ask you about this. We've got a real chance here to expand the Senate. And now with this December 6th election coming up in Georgia, there's Senator Raphael Warnock going against Herschel Walker. Why is this race so important? 
Well, listen, you know, part part of the reason why this race is so important is that there is, I mean, the contrast in this race is just <laughs> you you couldn't get a more stark contrast. Reverend Raphael Warnock is the real deal. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who is the pastor of Martin Luther King's church. Folks, just to give you a sense of how high of a bar that is, like to fall in the footsteps of, of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and to pastor his church, that's a big, big, big deal. Uh-huh. Uh, that means that you have to have the intellect, you have to have the morality, you 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 have to have the, the values, uh, you have to have the heart. And Reverend Warnock has that. He's been the pastor there for a number of years, and he's adored um, uh, by, by the folks at that church. But this is a guy who rolled up his sleeves when he was elected uh, in January 2021, um, rolled up his sleeves, went to Washington, D.C., and went to work for the people of Georgia, not just the Democratic people uh, in, uh, in Georgia, not just the Black folks in Georgia, all of the voters in Georgia. Uh, he was instrumental in terms of the infrastructure law. He was instrumental in working with the president on student loan forgiveness. So much that has come and benefited Georgia, Reverend Warnock's hands have been on that over the past two years. Uh, Herschel Walker, as we say in the South, uh, South uh, bless his heart. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy is a real mess. He is a mess. Everything that escapes from his lips are, are lies. Every single thing. Uh, and he's propped up by all of these other hot messes, you know, the Lindsey Grahams and the Ted Cruz's of the world. Uh, you know, it, this guy, remember, he was a resident in Texas, moved to Georgia uh, in order to run for the United States Senate. Um, so, yes, he played football for Georgia, but just because you played football doesn't mean you're qualified to be a United States senator. Uh, you know, he's talking about vampires and, and werewolves and all that. And Warnock's talking about, you know, food on your table and yes. jobs that, that yes. you can work at. So there's a stark difference. We need Reverend Warnock in the United States Senate to represent the people of uh, of Georgia. The Republicans need uh, Herschel Walker in the United States Senate because that gives them another Senate uh, a Senate vote. Uh, that's the difference in this race. Mm-hmm. It's about people versus power. Republicans want power, and they don't care who they put up, whether they're qualified or not. They just want to have that vote. Democrats are fighting for people who actually believe in the people that they want to represent. And that's the difference in this race. And that's why Reverend Warnock has to win. And we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that he does. Now you brought these two names up during that answer, and, and I want to ask you a little bit more about them. Now, what do you what do you make of Ted Cruz, of Lindsey Graham campaigning with Herschel Walker? Why them? Why are they doing it? Well, both of them should spend some time in their own damn states. Good <laughs> Lord! I mean, you got Senator Ken Cruz uh, who fled his state in the in the midst of a, a blizzard. Right? People are flushing their toilets with the snow outside because the water isn't running, the pipes are frozen over. And guess where he is? He gets on a plane to fly to Cancun with his family. And then he blames it on his daughters. I mean, take some responsibility. Uh, But that guy's a joke. And then don't even get me started on Lindsey Graham. I mean, (laughs) talking about a mess. 
this guy is the worst of the worst. And I used to, and I say this in all due respect, because I used to really like Lindsey. Uh, I used to respect Lindsey, but I don't know what he has become. I mean, you know, it, to see him go after Mitch McConnell this, this past week or so was kind of laughable, given that Mitch McConnell dropped $30 million in our race for the United States Senate when when uh, Lindsey and I were running against each other. I mean, you know, that old statement that it, in Washington, if you're looking for a friend, you need to get a dog. They must have known Lindsey Graham well, because, hell, if you consider him a friend, uh, <laughs> get ready for the pickaxe in your in your back. I mean, this guy is just a mess. He is just a mess. And he doesn't do anything for his constituents. Lindsey Graham hasn't had a town hall in South Carolina. I think it has been it has to be almost four or five years now since the last time he had a town hall in the state. He doesn't do anything for anybody in the state. And he's always on TV, always doing something that is unrelated to actually helping people in the state. And it's sad. But that's what you get when you get a Ted Cruz and a Lindsey Graham, people who like the limelight, who love seeing themselves on TV, but actually don't want to do the work for the people in their states. So what's next? You know, we always see people say, you know, the messaging, the messaging. And I agree. You got to, though, focus on doing what politicians should do, though, which is actually help the people. But as we look towards, you know, the runoffs, as we look towards 2024 um, and even beyond that, as you have look, people like Mike, Mike Pompeo the other day saying the most dangerous person in the world is not Kim Jong-un or Xi Jinping. It's uh, the head of the American Federation of uh, Teachers, Randy Weingarten, right? That, that That's who he said is the most dangerous person in the world. When they use that hateful rhetoric like that, and we as Democrats are talking to people about health care and education and jobs and infrastructure and true freedoms, freedom of women over their own bodies and things like that. Like, how do we, though, just say, look, there's this hate echo chamber and these people are manipulating you for power. And on the other hand, like, here are the issues. Here are the policies. Do we need to go into these areas that are kind of deep red and just start having these conversations? Like, what does that look like? Well, it, it you are so on point with that, Ben. I mean, one, the hateful rhetoric and uh, the, the targeting that we are seeing coming out of the Republican side right now is uncalled for. I mean, what Pompeo said about uh, Randy Weingarten is just it's beyond the pale. I know Randy well. She's a dear friend. Uh, Randy's been a teacher in our classrooms and she is representing teachers, but representing and fighting for our kids as well. And to say that uh, she's more dangerous than a, a Putin or, uh, you know, or, you know, nor can the, the North Korean leader or or she. Uh, or I mean, it's just it's beyond the pale and it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. And now you're going to put a, a, a target on our teachers. And that's what we're seeing from the Republican side. They, they are telegraphing this extremism that they're going to use their power for, for things like political investigations and targeting other people and creating chaos. But what we Democrats have to do is we have to stay focused. President Biden and the Democrats, we're going to remain focused on the issues uh, and continuing to deliver for the American people because that's what the people expect of us. We can't take our eye off of the ball. Um, and we have to continue to focus on the people. And the people will reward us because of that. Um, 
in terms of what we're going to do in 2023, there are going to be a lot of, of town halls and discussions over the course uh, of the year. And we're starting to have uh, some discussions about you know, the planning for 2023 so that we can make sure that our policies are geared towards, because in 2024, we have to come up with our democratic platform again about what we believe in and what we're fighting for. And we wanna make sure that is fueled by actually talking with people about the things that they are concerned about, uh, the issues that they want us to address uh, as a governing party. And so, um, you know, we'll go out there, we'll reach out to people, we'll hear and listen to people. Uh, and then we're also gonna push policies. Uh, you know, there are a number of things that the president wants to get done um, from uh, tackling childcare to the uh, voting rights, codifying Roe. Uh, and so we're gonna push all of those things. Do we know that Republicans are going to probably try to block them? Yes. Uh, but does that mean we stop? No, we, can, we continue to push and we continue to do our very best uh, to deliver for the American people. Chairman Harrison, finally, if you could give any final words to the Midas Mighty out there, this vibrant pro-democracy community. It's really a coalition that we have here in this community of Democrats, of independents, of non-affiliated political people, um, of people who left the Republican Party. It's a broad coalition of people who just said, look, we're pro-normalcy, <laughs> we're pro-democracy, and we want to get things done for the country. And so any final words to that, the Midas Mighty community out there? Well, first and foremost, happy holidays to, to all of you all. Um, I, and I want to say thank you. Thank you for standing up for sanity. Thank you for standing up for our democracy. Thank you for believing in freedom. Uh, thank you for always having hope. Uh, it's really, really important that we have, uh, you know, good people who do that. You know, this is, there's this quote from Dr. King that I often use. Uh, it's from his letter from the Birmingham jail. And in that, he says, um, we will repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. It's so important for the good people in this country, good people uh, who follow you all, um, the good people in the Democratic Party, good people in the Republican Party and who are independents, to just stand up in the face of this hatred and the bigotry and the division that we got coming from the other side. And for this, and for me, it is not, it does not give me joy to say these things about the Republican Party. I know a lot of people say, oh, you're just playing politics. No, it really isn't. You know, some of my very, very good friends uh, uh, in politics have been on the other side. And and I, you know, I enjoy our, our you know, going back and forth and, and you can do that. You can have policy disagreements, but the hatred and the bigotry and the vitriol that we see in politics today has to stop because if it does not stop, it's going to tear this country apart. And so what I want on the other side and what I wish for, for the holidays and for Christmas, for me, what I wish for is to actually have a, a country where we can we can spar as it relates to policy differences, uh, but we can respect each other, um, that we can uh, hold each other up, and that we don't have to attack each other on a, on a personal level. Um, but right now, that's where we are in this country, and, and it's a it's a it's a dead end path. We got to find a way a different path moving forward, and I think all of you are an important part of of how we do that. So keep up the faith, keep pushing, keep trying to change the, the hearts and minds over on the other side, because uh, hopefully better days are ahead.
Jamie Harrison, chairman of the Democratic National Committee. Thank you for joining us on the Midas Touch podcast. Thank you, Phyllis. Jamie Harrison, everyone. What a great interview. It was so great to have Jamie Harrison on the podcast. He did a Dedicated, great man. Dedicated. Dedicated dude right there. He did a great job. Excited to see what happens next. Excited to be part of what happens next with you all. Because as I reflect on this Thanksgiving, I am most thankful for the Midas Mighty community. I couldn't be prouder of everything that you've accomplished because none of what we do here at the Midas Touch Network is possible without you. And the ideas and ideals that we talk about here, democracy, family, compassion, true freedom, helping people, treating people with dignity. You are all the ambassadors for that. And while you heard what Jamie Harrison saying, the right wing hate echo chamber out there continues to spread negativity and tries to drag people down and cannibalizes itself. It's really incumbent on us to provide the alternative and frankly, a far better alternative, which is to just respect people and to allow people to go about their lives, to treat people with dignity and to make sure that we can be problem solvers and not problem creators. And we're so grateful for each and every one of you. Want to let you all know about our Patreon Go check it out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Consider becoming a patron of the Midas Touch Network. We are not funded by any of any outside investors, especially the billionaires and millionaires who support the both sides media and the pro-fascist media. So we're 100% independent. We're 100% accountable to you and only you. Um, there's lots of great exclusive content you can only get at the Patreon website for Midas Touch. So go check it out. But most importantly, it helps grow this independent media platform. That's patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. And also feel free to check out our store, store.midastouch.com for the best unapologetically pro-democracy gear out there. That's store.midastouch.com. Check it out. You can get the Convict or Convict 45 shirts, the Row, Row Your Vote shirts, the I Read Band Book sweatshirt, and so much more. Check also, it out we've been, I need to interject. We started we started our Black Friday sales early this year. So if you just go check out our sales items, they're already up and running. So check those out at store.midastouch.com. Check it out. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this edition of the Midas Touch podcast. Jordy, take it away. Shout out to the Midas Mighty! Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right, gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com.